Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. The Stalker Files is part of the Dark Hollywood Collection in the Reels Files on Podcast One, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Be sure to subscribe for new episodes each Thursday. Then, go to Reels.com, check the top of the screen, and enter your zip code to find out how you can watch more chilling cases like this when you watch TV. That's R-E-E-L-Z.com for the dark crime series and specials you'll find only on Reels Channel. Brooke Shields had to navigate around the attention of a host of stalkers. Mark Bailey, who was stalking her for 15 years, and then you have John Rinaldi, who was stalking and harassing her for 30 years. If you could just wrap your mind around that. What a terrible thing, knowing that you had been stalked since you were a child. It's something that's always going to be there in the back of your mind. Wherever you are, you're always going to have to like look over your shoulder because if you don't, that's the time that you're caught off guard. When we finally were exposed to the list of stalkers that they had on file, it was in the hundreds. John Rinaldi pursued Brooke Shields and he's still obsessed with her. Stalking Brooke Shields was Mark Bailey's life. It consumed him. Mark Bailey, he'll never go away. Will he snap one day? Maybe. January 1999. Brooke Shields is a household name. She's been in the public eye since she was a baby. Everyone knows who she is including one of the many men who were consumed and absolutely obsessed with her. Rhonda Saunders, prosecutor and stalking expert. Brooke Shields has had numerous people, it's been in the news, who have stalked her. Merrill Leidenheim, L.A. County Sheriff's Department, retired. Mark Bailey was one of the most determined stalkers I've ever encountered. Mark Bailey was living in his own reality. Couple that with procuring a loaded firearm, and that was a recipe for disaster. Dr. Chris Bohandi, forensic psychologist. Bailey was kind of a classic celebrity stalker who became fixated on Brooke Shields. Um, Pursued her, he wrote to her, he showed up, he made some threatening statements as well, and it culminated in him actually having a handgun. And that's when it, you know, really took it to the next level. It escalated, though, just from these letters to where he showed up at her house. He found out where she lived and broke a window in trying to get in. Patrick J. O'Day, Chief of Police, Haworth, New Jersey, Police Department, retired. The housekeeper was there. She was on the phone with the police, and he immediately started to leave the residence at that point. Our officers arrived and were able to place him under arrest. So he was prosecuted for residential burglary, possession of a stolen car, and basically placed on probation, given a slap on the wrist. Now, that didn't stop him. 
Brooke Shields is getting very alarmed because this man is making strange statements in his letters, such as, there's a full moon tonight, it's going to bring out the wolf in me, and we don't know what could happen, but we don't want that to happen. Our philosophy was to stalk the stalker, to find out and gather as much information about him as we could, start recording and observing his daily activities. Merrill Leidenheim, who is an excellent sheriff, sees him with the gun. I believe Mark Bailey ultimately would have attempted to shoot Brooke Shields. Brooke Shields is a sitting duck, unaware that one of her most dangerous stalkers, Mark Bailey, looks to be headed straight towards her, armed with a 25 caliber semi-automatic loaded gun. More than 40 years before this looming and potentially deadly threat, Bailey is born in Houston, Texas. Mark Bailey's childhood was somewhat a mystery to us. Dr. Reed Malloy, forensic psychologist. Typically, when you look carefully at stalking cases as a consultant, as a evaluator, and you're able to gather data on their early childhood experiences, you will find disruptions and breaks in attachment. And oftentimes, it's either a neglectful parent or neglectful parents or there has been a major loss and there's been perhaps an abandonment of the individual or the individual has come from an abusive environment. Years later, Bailey somehow ends up on the East Coast. When we first met Mark Bailey in, in mid-1980s, he was docile, polite, calm. His personality changed over time. There was speculation that he had graduated from NYU. He had spent significant time in New Jersey, New York, upstate New York, in Binghamton, had contacts in Florida, but we had a hard time verifying a lot of that. While details of Bailey's early days are scarce, it seems his mental health has long plagued him. Although we knew that he had been hospitalized in a mental institution, we don't know much about his work history, didn't see a whole lot of history. I think some of his mental illness impacted his ability to gain work. Despite his struggles, Bailey is able to eke out a living as a tax preparer living with his mother. As Bailey is trying to make a life for himself, another man who will force himself into Brooks' life, John Rinaldi, is born to a privileged family and grows up in Massachusetts. John Rinaldi had a typical childhood, and his family were pretty well-to-do, and everything was going great until he was about 12 years old. And when he was 12 years old, he was molested by a neighbor. And he didn't tell his parents. He didn't really tell anyone. It was just kind of festering in him. But he found an outlet. And he was fascinated by Brooke Shields. He described what sounded like a relatively isolated experience of sexual abuse. Mr. Rinaldi claims that he was a victim of sexual abuse, which has nothing to do with how a person becomes a stalker. But in his case, the attention he received for that was like the switch turning on. After watching Brooke on television and in movies, a young Rinaldi joins the actress's fan club, apparently looking for an escape after his reported sexual abuse. He sort of used the letters, the fan letters, as therapy. And he started to talk about what had happened with the sexual abuse and how it was affecting him. And somehow, Brooke Shields' mother, Terry, read some of these letters and actually wrote back to him. Oftentimes, fan letters go unanswered, 
but not this time. And it turns out Terry's response does more harm than good. And it represented to him that he could get a response from the Shields family that was compassionate. And that solidified his sense that there was a destiny to be fulfilled with Brooke Shields. As John Rinaldi is reaching out for help, Brooke Shields is already a well-known child star. Born in New York in 1965, she is faced with a difficult, unusual upbringing. Rob Salem, entertainment columnist. Brooke Shields was raised by a single mother who had an almost fanatical dedication to the notion of her daughter having an acting career. And that career started at 10 months old in an Ivory Snow commercial. Richard Krauss, film critic. Because she's been in the public eye since she was a baby, people think that they really know her. Brooke Shields, she didn't have much of a childhood. In addition to working and performing in commercials and films, she had to take care of her mother, who was a uh, volatile alcoholic. With a troubled home life, Brooke's career takes a controversial turn. Critics say a number of her early roles inappropriately sexualized the young girl. She was 11 years old when she was cast in Pretty Baby, uh, playing a child prostitute, and there was nudity involved and very suggestive stuff, and there was a huge outcry. Also, what was happening kind of off-screen that was really causing trouble. Her mother, Terry, was drinking a great deal. Brooke Shields was pushed into very adult situations at a very young age, uh, but she was making a fortune while doing it. Just four years after Pretty Baby, a 15-year-old Brooke hits the big screen in what will become perhaps her most notorious role. Blue Lagoon is probably her best-known film, although probably for all the wrong reasons. When it came out, uh, it was sort of widely panned, made a, a fair amount of money, uh, mostly because at that moment, Brooke Shields was as hot a part of popular culture as you could possibly find. Uh, but it's the story of, you know, shipwrecked kids who eventually are left alone on an island. There was nudity. They kept her hair glued over her breasts. She was underage, and uh, there was sexual content. And uh, a lot of people didn't like that. All of these Brooke Shields films from the early 1980s have one thing in common, and that's that they place her in very adult situations. You feel for the young actress being exposed to this sort of stuff. But Brooke was a very mature young lady. Taking care of her mother forced her to grow up fairly quickly. Despite her success and controversial roles, Brooke attends public school trying to maintain some sort of normalcy. But she is about to take on a role that will make it nearly impossible for her to blend in. The ads for Calvin Klein, nothing gets between me and my Calvins. It's a catchy catchphrase. It's something that people remembered. But I wonder about the appropriateness of her as, you know, barely a teenager posing in those photographs with that as a tagline. She was a giant star, but I think that she was someone who worked within a very adult situation, even though she was a very young person. The ads spark outrage. Several networks refused to air it. Fellow actor and teen idol Leif Garrett was close to Brooke during her controversial rise to fame and infamy. Richard Krauss, film critic. Brooke and I became friends first through Brooke writing me to let me know that she liked my music and stuff. And it's funny because it seems like that would be a fan, but she was already being established as a credible actress. So it wasn't the same as like just getting a fan letter. And I was 
attracted to Brooke as well, of course. She had a bigger career than I did at a younger age. I was starting to get a lot of press and stuff at like 13, 14. She was like getting it at like eight, nine. After getting full permission from her mother, Brooke and I went out on a date and stayed friends after that. As Brooke is quickly becoming one of the world's most recognizable faces, she is about to learn a devastating lesson about life in the Hollywood fishbowl. My opinion generally of stalkers and of Mark Bailey in particular is that there's something missing in their life and that there's some psychological issue to be addressed. It's just not natural to be obsessed with a person you've never met and to give up basically your whole life in pursuit of some imaginary relationship. It frightens me because of what I know they're capable of doing. It's 1980. Despite barely being a teenager, Brooke Shields is a high-profile actress. She's best known for her controversial, risque, and oftentimes age-inappropriate roles. This is a career path masterminded by her mother. She was rapidly being known as the world's sexiest teenager. That came with its downside as well, although it was an image that Terry Shields fostered because of its commercial aspects. Because Terry Shields was an alcoholic and had very problematic behavior, Brooke became in many ways the caregiver and sort of took care of her mom when she was at her most erratic. I met Terry Shields uh, when I did an interview with Brooke, and Terry was a force of nature. She was in complete control of the whole interview situation and took very seriously her responsibility for Brooke's career. Brooke decides to take a break from life in the limelight, but she can't completely escape all the unwanted, unwelcome attention. She went to Princeton, and I think it was probably a time of reevaluation, a time uh, to step away from the glare of the spotlight, although the glare of the spotlight followed her to Princeton a little bit because people were very interested in almost anything that she did around this time. These were the early days of the paparazzi phenomenon, and she was dogged at school. They were paying people to take pictures of her in the shower to the point where she started wearing a one-piece bathing suit when she showered. They were relentless. As Brooke is trying desperately, working to carve out a bit of normalcy, unbeknownst to her, two different men are setting their sights on the young starlet. In 1985, Mark Bailey, one of the men who was becoming dangerously obsessed with Brooke, begins his ferocious, disturbing letter-writing campaign. While it's not clear what sparked his obsession, it's dangerous all the same. Mark Bailey, when he wrote letters to Brooke Shields, would um, profess his love for her, um, tell her what mistakes she was making in her life and how he could correct them for her. Mark Bailey started to write her letters, and they weren't just letters. He started to send her nude photos of himself, and he was much older than she was. Just a year later, the other man who was closely following Brooke Shields, John Rinaldi, also goes to extremes to allegedly get close to the object of his obsession. At about the age of 18, Mr. Rinaldi steals his father's car to use in order to pursue Brooke Shields at Princeton. That tells you just how strong his obsession was. There's a lot of things that go on when a stalker is trying to violate somebody's personal space. It may be that they don't think that they're engaging in a violation. They may believe that they're supposed to be there because they're the husband or the wife. The most concerning celebrity stalkers that we see are not the ones that are sitting in their home in a basement sending off emails. It's the ones that feel compelled to travel that have the resources to travel and the resourcefulness to travel. 
Though he'll go on to deny this narrative, Rinaldi is on the road working to pursue Brooke. His instability, coupled with an escalating obsession, could spell trouble for the young actress and college student. Meanwhile, another cause of her fear and sleepless nights, Mark Bailey is no longer content with sending letters. To this day, I'm not sure how Mark Bailey found Brooke Shields. This is 1985, before the internet, before GPS and everything else, and find a house in Horace, New Jersey, it was hard to do. We were sent to an alarm call at Brooke Shields' home. And many houses in Haworth had alarms, and back then the technology alarm systems weren't that great, so there was a lot of false alarms. And we checked the house after the alarm had gone off, and everything was in order, and there was no problems, and we left. It escalated just from these letters to where he showed up at her house, he found out where she lived, and broke a window in trying to get in. And the police came, and they found that he was in a stolen car. The next day... um, My partner and I were reporting for duty. We walked in and said that there had been an arrest from a gentleman who tried to break into Brooke Shields' house. So I ducked my head in to take a look at who broke into Brooke Shields' house, and um, it was Mark Bailey, and he looked at me and said, oh, hello, officer, and I just said hello back to him. He then pointed at me and said, oh, you were one of the guys that was there last night. And at that point, I realized he was talking about Brooke Shields' home and that he had actually been lurking around the house and quite possibly had tripped the alarm. But he had hidden himself in some bushes, and he watched my partner and I check the house and leave. Among mentally ill stalkers, lack of insight that they are delusional is very common. It's one of the characteristics of some serious mental illnesses, namely schizophrenia, what he had been diagnosed with at the time, which was paranoid schizophrenia. I was chilled that Mark Bailey was actually watching me, you know, do my job, kind of like stalking me at that point. Bailey pleads guilty to criminal trespassing and receiving a stolen car. He is ordered to undergo therapy, pay damages, and court fines. He is also sentenced to five years probation. But this slap on the wrist is just a temporary setback for Bailey. He continues to send obscene, frightening letters. What that does, it encourages stalkers because then they start to think that they can get away with anything, that it's just the price of doing business, that, hey, they can talk their way out of going to prison. They're not afraid of prison. In fact, he even said that to the sheriffs. He's not afraid of the sheriffs. Why? Because there are no consequences for his actions. Yeah, he gets arrested and spends a few days in jail, but then he's back out on the street again. In 1992, Bailey is arrested again. He's charged with making terrorist threats against Shields and the Howarth Police Department. The calls that Mark Bailey was making at this point had turned darker than in previous um, encounters. We located him in a city of Patterson, which is in Passaic, an adjacent county of Bergen in New Jersey. Mark Bailey, in our opinion, was progressing because he was progressing to threats where that if she didn't go with him, her life would be in danger. There was no escaping this individual. The police department had numerous run-ins, and as a matter of fact, besides threatening and harassing uh, Ms. Shields, he had also threatened the lives of the police department officers uh, in the course of their duties. Stalkers in general are are relentless, um, and Mark Bailey is the perfect example of this. New Jersey did not have a stalking statute back in 1985. After a subsequent parole violation, Bailey is told he can never come back to New Jersey. Meanwhile, Brooke's other fan-turned-stalker, John Rinaldi, is still obsessing over her. He takes his creepy fixation to new levels. So Terry was very aware of John Rinaldi because they had a correspondence going back and forth. And in her way, she was trying to help him. 
But he felt that because of this relationship, he was he could overstep the boundaries. So while in New York, he saw Terry and he saw Brooke at a restaurant, and he went up to them as if, well, I'm John, you should know me, and asked for a photo, talked to him. And in his mind then, this relationship was just getting solidified. In the letter Rinaldi gives to Brooke and Terry, he writes in part, quote, he thinks about Brooke daily and would die for her. Two years later, he reportedly calls Brooke's office saying he's moving to town. In one of his subsequent emails, Rinaldi will reference Rebecca Schaefer, an up-and-coming starlet who became the fatal victim of another obsessed stalker. However, in the letter, it was very bizarre because he makes mention that he's moving into the neighborhood where Rebecca Schaefer was killed. And he mentions that dynamic, which kind of has a fear element in itself, like why bother to bring this up? Unlike Mark Bailey, Brooke's other stalker, John Rinaldi, appears to have steady employment as a writer, although some of his credits, including Celine Dion Confidant and Catherine Jackson Escort, seem suspect. Both Bailey and Rinaldi, Brooke's two ever-present stalkers, are doing everything possible to insert themselves into the actress's life. Mr. Rinaldi, this is the all-consuming focus of his life, the central organizing feature of his life's purpose. And the problem is, it is one-sided, it is fantasy-based, and it is out of touch with reality. Rinaldi isn't the only stalker struggling to discern reality when it comes to Brooke Shields. Mark Bailey was a very, very dangerous individual because Mark Bailey was living in his own reality. Couple that with procuring a loaded firearm, and that was a recipe for disaster. If you like what you're hearing, check out Hollywood's Dark Side on Reels Channel. You'll find true stories and mysteries of celebrity icons on autopsy that reveal what really killed screen and music legends like Grace Kelly, Anthony Bourdain, Aretha Franklin, and Star Trek's Leonard Nimoy. To find Reels on your TV, go to Reels.com. That's R-E-E-L-Z.com. Then, check the top of the screen and enter your zip code to find Reels on your system in your area. It's 1993. Actress Brooke Shields is facing mounting threats and sick correspondence from not only one, but two highly persistent stalkers. I feel bad for her um, in the extent that her life is, is not her own with the stalkers. There's so many of them. And to not be able to go out, do simple things without constantly worrying about who's looking at you, who's following you, who's looking to do harm to you in some cases. Despite the incredible stress and fear, Shields manages to graduate from Princeton and is now looking to continue with her acting career. She's a working actor and not the absolute red-hot flaming sensation that she had been before Princeton. So going away to university was almost like a cooling period, I think, and it took some of that glare away and I think has made her a more interesting performer since then. But like so many other Hollywood actresses, Brooke is known less for her body of work than her high-profile relationships. Brooke Shields dated a lot of very famous people, JFK Jr., Michael Jackson. But I think when you're as famous as she is, that's the dating pool. That's who you're meeting. 
the paparazzi and the press could not get enough of it. They reported on everything that she did when she wasn't filming a television show or appearing on a stage because she sort of kept it interesting for them. But it must have been a difficult time because as you step out of your house, your life is being recorded almost from, you know, the moment that you check the mail at the end of the walk until you come home at the end of the day. Brooke is a tabloid fixture, but she isn't getting the kind of role she wants. After vowing to change her sexy image, in 1994, Brooke gets a break. She made another brave move after she got out of Princeton University and uh, decided to take acting more seriously, took singing lessons, eventually made her way to Broadway playing Rizzo in Greece and doing very successfully. She got great reviews. With her rejuvenated career success, Brooke will soon experience a case of art imitating life. The great irony was her guest arc on Friends when she was playing a stalker of Joey's character. Who knew the... Uh, irony that that would take on down the road. Brooke's successful stint on Friends means more opportunities are opening up for her on the small screen. Suddenly Susan wasn't a bad sitcom at all. It was very watchable. She was very engaging in it. It wasn't your typical formulaic waste of time. (laughs) She is cast properly. She's in some big hits. She does some sitcom work. With her career back on track, Brooke starts dating tennis star Andre Agassi. The two marry in 1997. The relationship there was important for her because he's the one that sort of pushed her towards separating and and cutting ties with her mother and making some career changes. And whether or not they were entirely successful, I think what he brought to the relationship was a, a different way of thinking about her career. At one point, her husband pressured her into getting rid of Terry as her manager and hiring somebody outside. And uh, Terry, of course, did not take well to this, but uh, nonetheless was forced to accept it. While Brooke is happy in her new marriage, not everybody is happy for her. Stalker Mark Bailey continues to send her letters, referring to her as a mail-order bride and lashing out. There were over 100 letters sent throughout his stalking of Brooke Shields. Most of the letters contained nude photographs, him referencing their relationship. And not only pornography, he was sending her money. Was he referring to her being a prostitute, the role that she had played when she was a young girl? He refers to her as his mail-order bride. Was upset that she married Andre Agassi, believed that Brooke Shields was actually cheating on him. He talks about their destiny together. He wanted to know when they were going to resume their married life. She really was scared, and rightfully so, about this man. In 1998, Brooke decides that she has had enough. She files a federal restraining order against one of her longtime stalkers, Mark Bailey. He had to sign an acknowledgement that she wanted nothing to do with him, that he had to stop, that he was scaring her. It lasted less than a year. And he writes to her again. And this time in the letter he writes to her, he says, I'm moving to L.A. because we have to assess our relationship and we have to see if this relationship is actually going to go anywhere. The restraining order does little to comfort Brooke or keep her safe. In the summer of 1999, Bailey follows through with his promise and moves to Southern California where Brooke lives while filming Suddenly Susan. But he's not the only one going to extremes. 
John Rinaldi, who is also devoting his life to getting Brooke's attention, decides he needs to escalate his perceived relationship with the longtime celeb. John decided to move back to New York, and he wrote to her that he was moving to New York, and he moved into the West Village. And he continued working as a writer, continued writing to her. Well, for some reason, Brooke Shields moves into the West Village with her husband and their two children. And she moves only two blocks away from him. She doesn't know this. But all of a sudden, she starts seeing him all over the place. Brooke can't seem to escape these two men no matter what she does. She has now been stalked by both these men for more than 15 years. They literally have her surrounded at her homes on both coasts. But one, Mark Bailey, is about to distinguish himself in a terrifying scene. Fifteen years of stalking is a long time. He was relentless in his activities. I'd say that that was on the upper end an extreme case. It's October 1999. Actress Brooke Shields has long been a household name. Her career has evolved from child star to respected working actress. I think when people think of Brooke Shields, they think a model actress who seems to have been around since the beginning of time. She is someone who's been on screens, big and small, and on stages and everywhere, it seems, for decades now. Unfortunately, Brooke's long career in high visibility means she is vulnerable to those who can't simply appreciate her work. Some people can just be fans, most people. But then there are individuals who have mental problems that cannot just keep it there. This has been going on for 26 years. So it was a relentless, never-ending pursuit of his fantasy of him and Brooke Shields eventually becoming together. And that's indicative of all stalkers. They just can never let go of this, and it becomes a lifelong obsession for most of them. Unfortunately for Brooke, this is a situation where things will continue to deteriorate. Undeterred by numerous run-ins with the law, stealth stalker Mark Bailey is taking his sick, demented version of a love letter to new lows with a lengthy manifesto. Quote, Soon the moon will be in full, and the gravitational pull will impact my brain, resulting in wolf-like behaviors. Brooke Shields was very concerned about this letter, her extensive history with him, his unrelenting pursuit of her uh, while she was at college, and now seeing him in Los Angeles. She was very, very concerned for her safety, for her family's safety, and just exasperated by this individual, and that's why she sought help from law enforcement. It appears from this 12-page letter that he was amping up his aggression, and we decided to stalk the stalker. To focus on Mark Bailey, determine what his daily habits are, and really do a threat assessment, hopefully to protect Ms. Shields and provide her with some peace of mind in an assessment of what his motives were, what his daily activities were, and to ultimately ensure her and her family's safety. Detective Leidenheim, with the backing of the L.A. County Sheriff's Department, is now squarely focused on Bailey and his escalating insanity. So she went to the Sheriff's Department, and luckily they placed him under surveillance. We physically staked him out. We found that he was living at a hotel downtown Los Angeles. 
one of the maids noticed that he would leave the hotel and he every day he would have binoculars and other types of equipment spying type of equipment and that was a hotel used to house people that were recently released from prison recovering addicts and it was a rough part of town and a rough hotel he had been living there for a number of weeks we set up on him with a team of detectives from the LA Sheriff's Major Crimes Bureau all undercover and we began determining his patterns and we saw that he would walk around uh, this area uh, really uh, freely early in the morning uh, Mr. Bailey was kind of a frail gentleman there was a rough part of town he walked around didn't look like he had a concern in the world he was a chain smoker and he would smoke and take in the sights and look in the windows of nearby shops he would go to a a local drug store and pick up uh, items he spent a lot of time in his hotel but we did see him going out and mailing letters and it became readily apparent that we were going to need to connect him with physical evidence to those letters that were received by Brook Shields Detective Leidenheim and his team dedicate approximately 12 to 16 hours a day stalking the stalker. In full disguise, often dressed as plumbers, they are focused on getting Bailey off the streets and out of Brooks' life forever. We needed to connect him to those envelopes via DNA. We saw that the envelopes had a seal on them that were licked probably with saliva, had fingerprints on them, so what we needed to do was in our daily watching him was to recover one of those cigarette butts he was smoking and match the DNA of the cigarette butt to the envelope that Brooke Shields was receiving. On January 10th, 2000, the entire case reaches a boiling point. Detective Leidenheim and team are about to be forced into quick action. My partner and I pulled up. We're following Mark Bailey throughout the morning. We're intent on retrieving that cigarette butt for DNA evidence to put this case together. As Mr. Bailey is walking, he looks into a plate glass window of a storefront. And as we're watching him to discard that cigarette butt, we see him draw a pistol with his right hand and point it in the reflection of the window. It was a quick draw motion. This case has reached dangerous new heights. After years and years of obscene letters and demented threats, Bailey looks like he wants to do some permanent damage to Brooke. We observed Mr. Bailey put the gun back, secrete it somewhere on his body, we presume his right front pocket, and then he quick drawed it again and was actually pointing it in the reflection in the glass storefront. At that point, my partner and I immediately exited our undercover vehicle. A madman is dangerous enough. A madman with a gun is a nightmare and potentially lethal. Detective Leidenheim must proceed with caution. When we announced ourselves very loudly, detectives, L.A. County Sheriff's Department dropped the weapon. He immediately, before we could even finish the sentence, he discarded it. We heard the gun skip along the cement sidewalk detained him at gunpoint, secured him, handcuffed him, searched him for any additional weapons, and then put him in the back of our vehicle, retrieved the cigarette butt and the weapon, and saw that the gun was 25 caliber semi-automatic and it was loaded, one in the chamber as well. The serial numbers to that weapon were literally drilled out. 
So whoever had that weapon wanted to make sure that it was untraceable if it came in the purview of law enforcement. Mark Bailey stalking of Brooke Shields really was a close call for her because this wasn't just stalking with letters or even with the pornography, the photos, etc. This was a man who was serious. It was if he couldn't have her, nobody else could. That's why he had a gun. The police believed that the day that he was arrested, where he's walking down the street holding that gun, that he was on his way to kill Brooke Shields. With Bailey now in police custody, detectives search his hotel room and realize the unbelievable depths of his sickness. He had stated during the interview at the station uh, that he and Brooke Shields had had a troubled relationship. She was avoiding him. He was very, very frustrated at that, very upset as well. We later did a search warrant on his room at the Alexandria Hotel and found other letters that he had written that he was preparing to mail off. We found a social security card application listing him as a male prostitute and his employer as Brooke Shields. We saw a lot of letters that were rambling in nature, clearly someone that was mentally ill. After assessing this case, the facts being that he was stalking her for 15 years, the tone of the letters were increasingly frustrated. He appeared to be angry and had armed himself. We believe that eventually he would have confronted Brooke Shields, gone to the Suddenly Susan set, and tried to harm her. Bailey is charged with stalking, illegally possessing a firearm, and possession of a firearm with identification numbers removed. He actually told the sheriffs he was not afraid of prison, he was not afraid of Brooke Shields, and that, despite the fact that he was being arrested, he intended to stay in L.A. for as long as it took to get an answer from Brooke whether she would be his or he wanted her specifically to say, I don't want anything to do with you. So he was in complete denial. April 7th, 2000. Bailey's trial begins. He pleads no contest. I testified on behalf of Brooke Shields, so Mark Bailey would not get the gratification of seeing his actions produce Brooke Shields to have to testify and come before him. As with many high-profile celebrity trials, courtroom illustrator Mona Schaefer-Edwards is a front-row seat to the proceedings. When I saw Mark Bailey, I was struck by... Uh, how actually creepy he was. He was handcuffed. He looked like he didn't really know what was going on. I was wondering if there was just some mental issue that he had that he had an air about him that was not altogether there. Almost as if he didn't know why he was there. Quizzical. He was uh, sort of confused. I always look at people and somehow they all look like animals of some sort. And he had a little ferret look, like a little, uh, like a mink or something like that ferret. And I was struck by his profile and just sort of his eyes darting around as if he just didn't know why he was there. Skinny, tall, white, very white, unwashed hair. 
body language, just sort of craning his neck, just sort of slimy a little bit. We have to look at the mental health of Mark Bailey and try to stabilize him as much as possible and also try to control this situation. Brooke Shields, stalked for 15 years, is sending him to prison necessarily going to deter him from future actions? And the answer is no. And the district attorney in this case devised a brilliant plan where we had 10 years of control and we dismissed the gun case and shipped him out of state into Florida where he had the support of family, he had the support of mental health facilities, and we held over his head. If he came into California within that 10-year period of time and he committed a crime, he would strike out. Bailey is put on ice. Now Brooke Shields can breathe a sigh of relief. Her 15-year-plus stalking ordeal with Mark Bailey is now over. But she's not out of the woods yet. Her other longtime stalker, John Rinaldi, another man who is obsessed with her, is about to intensify his efforts. You know, it's not unheard of for stalkers to deny that they're a threat to their victims. And in this case, Rinaldi hands Ms. Shields a letter proclaiming himself not to be a threat. I would never take such a letter seriously. New York City, 2003. Actress Brooke Shields has gone from controversial child star to acclaimed actress. But fame, fortune, and beauty often attract the dark side. After one stalker Mark Bailey is put behind bars, Brooke still has to contend with John Rinaldi. He is a persistent individual who has been relentlessly tracking her every move since the 80s. You have John Rinaldi, who was stalking and harassing her for 30 years. Having the same person just constantly writing you, following you, showing up. And that can wear you down. Brooke is performing on Broadway. She says Rinaldi, who is living in New York City, goes to see her shows at least ten times. He also waits at the stage door with flowers. In addition, Rinaldi drops off presents, loiters around the family's neighborhood, and is relentless in pursuing unwanted contact. Here he is showing up on her doorstep with a bunch of stuffed animals, allegedly for her children. Uh, by the way, he had bought some lemonade from the girls at the lemonade stand, but he later claimed he never spoke to them. He just spoke to the nanny. At this point, Brooke is getting very concerned. Like many people in Hollywood, Brooke Shields uses the services of security guru to the stars, Gavin DeBecker. It's escalating. Now it's not just, though, about her. It's about her children. And her husband has actually confronted him on the street and said, Look, you're scaring her. Back off, please. Don't come around. And what does he do? He shows up at the house. Amid Rinaldi's continuing harassment, Brooke suffers a personal loss. Her mother, Terry, dies in October 2012. Terry had a distinct connection to John Rinaldi, writing back to his childhood fan letters after he said he was abused. Brooke's relationship with her mother, Terry, was very complicated, and it took a very long time for her to break those bonds and move forward. 
Amid grieving for her mother, by 2013 the incidents with John Rinaldi begin to pile up. Ominous tweets, emails to publicists and neighborhood run-ins have Brooke looking to take action. The police even start getting involved in this case. They do what's called an intervention, which is they don't go to arrest him right away. They approach him and they tell him, you've got to stop this. You're scaring her. You're scaring her family. So do not go and talk to her, be near her. And yet she still sees him walking by her house, parking in front of her house, going by the Starbucks where she hangs out. Everybody knows she hangs out. Rinaldi doesn't let up. He is finally criminally charged. Brooke and her husband testify during the trial. June 2016, Rinaldi is convicted on four misdemeanor counts of stalking and harassing and sentenced to 60 days in jail. But is his obsession finally put to rest? John Rinaldi pursued Brooke Shields for about 30 plus years, and he's still obsessed with her. Both Bailey and Rinaldi serve their time, but they are just the tip of the iceberg. A security team that has worked with Brooke estimates that since her teens, she has had 2,930 inappropriate pursuers that the company is aware of. Experts are skeptical that her two most prolific stalkers are changed men. I hope I've heard the last of Mark Bailey. Whether we will or not um, is a good question. The Brookshield stalking case was a great case because we had great results. We provided our victim finally with some closure in this case. We got the suspect away from the victim, got him involved in some mental health programming. And I hope that Mark Bailey, my hope is, is that he's moved on and is living a happy life somewhere away from Brooke Shields. Many stalkers will repeat their stalking with other victims, or they'll have other victims at the same time they're stalking the one that they're primarily concerned with or they get caught for. As long as Brooke Shields is out there and uh, whether she's prominent or her fame fades a little bit, I believe Mark Bailey's obsession with her will never fade. It's my opinion that Brooke Shields can never rest easy and that this is ending. We used to have an expression when managing some of these longer-term stalking cases, and that is that we never close a stalking case until they're dead. The Stalker Files comes from the Dark Hollywood Collection at Reels Channel. To get more like this when you watch TV, go to Reels.com. That's R-E-E-L-Z.com. Check the top of your screen and enter your zip code to find us on your system. You'll also find extras from the TV version of The Stalker Files, including full episodes, witness interviews, and crime scene photos you'll get only on Reels Channel. Find The Stalker Files and its companions on Roku and Fire TV, too.